probably heard my wife wasn't feeling great this morning, so just be praying for her. Um, she couldn't make it this morning because she was feeling sick, so just be praying for her. But um, man, so great to see you all. Uh, and I know that if you weren't awake already, you are now as soon as I said, good morning, really loud. So um, it's good to see you. Uh, this last Wednesday night, we or Wednesday morning, I'm sorry, we had our first prayer meeting. We talked about that last Sunday, invited you guys, and all of you were there. So thank you so much. And I'm just like, um, uh, it was great. No, we had a really good time, 6 to 7 a.m. And, uh, and it was great. We, we took some time to worship together and have some solitude in the presence of Jesus uh, to intercede for our church community. And we prayed through our five prayers for the church. And so it was really powerful time uh, to just seek the Lord together. I mean, there's, there's power in that when there's this unity in a pursuit. Uh, and it's special in those moments uh, because it's so prayerful and worshipful. Um, and so I encourage you guys, if you didn't get to make it last Wednesday, uh, please do whatever you can to be there this Wednesday. Uh, again, 6 to 7, and we end on time. So we respect your time. We know you guys have work and things like that in the morning. So we start on time and we end on time. So 6 to 7 a.m., love to have you guys there. It would be splendiferous. Um, and I just made up that word. So, well, uh, let me ask you this. H have any of you ever watched the World Series of Poker before? Anybody ever seen that? It's, you're like, wait, poker, should I raise my hand in church? Uh, no, it's okay, it's not a test. Um, I have two. Uh, it's fascinating, and these guys and, and their ability to play this game, uh, and it just, you see like it's a sport almost for these guys. Uh, they're, they're trained, they've know, they know the calculations and the risks of when to bet and when not to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, something that was surprising to me the first time I saw it was just how often these guys would go all in, like on a hand. I was surprised at how often they would do it. Because in the movies, like Maverick, you guys ever saw Maverick with Mel Gibson? It was a great movie. Um, so in movies like that, you know, you don't go all in until you got your, like, royal flush, you know, which never happens in poker, by the way. But, um, you know, one guy's got the four of a kind, the other guy's got his straight flush, and then the other guy has a royal flush of spades, of course. Um, and so then you're like, I'm all in, you know. That's not the way it works in real poker. I mean, they go all in when they have, like, two pair. Like, it's very, very interesting. Um, but it's a high risk, high reward, right? I mean, if you go all in and you lose you lose big, right? And then if you go all in and you win, then you win big, right? So there's, there's a high risk, there's a high reward, but these guys, they've been trained to count the cost, to know what it will cost them to do it, the, the risk assessment, you could say, right? Uh, I think Jesus' terms in following him are similar 
in going all in. We see this in Matthew verse, chapter 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is inviting us to go all in with him. He says, man, you go all in with me, then you're gonna find true life. The life that I died for you to have, that I bled for you to have. My destiny for you, you have that. When you go all in with me, when you put all your chips on the table with me, you'll find true life. This is a good bet, right? He says, but if you keep your chips to yourself, if you try to save your own life, he said, then you're gonna lose it. You're gonna miss out on all that I have for you if you try to do it yourself. He said, trust me, go all in with me and then you'll find the fullness of life, right? Life in all its fullness, that was his promise. That's what he came to bring, right? The fullness of God in us, the love that surpasses knowledge. All of that comes when we say yes to Jesus. We say, all right, God, I'm doing it. I'm going all in with you. So the title of my message this morning is, I guess you guys wouldn't guess it, all in, all in. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, uh, our hearts are open to you. Whatever you want to say, that's what we want to receive. Lord, I pray, God, that if there's any of my words that come out this morning, I pray they'll just fall to the ground with no power, Lord, but we will only receive what's from you and from your spirit. Uh, we love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series that we started last week on vision. So we're talking about vision. Last week, we, we kicked it off about how God starts out his vision with the power of God, a touch of God, that that's what we need before anything else, before we make some amazing plan or have this awesome blueprint, we need a touch of God. We need the presence of Jesus in anything that we do. We need his power to be present. Without him, we can do nothing, right? And so we talked about that last week and how God has a way in which he uh, fulfills his vision. So he has, he has a dream, right? He has a dream for the world to, to reconcile all men to himself, men and women, um, reconciliation of all people united under the headship of Jesus, right? So this is his dream and his way in which he operates that we see in scripture time and time again is this upward, inward, outward, that it always starts with our relationship with him first and then connection, community uh, with each other and then missional living from that. And so that's the way in which God operates. So over the next few weeks, we are going to uh, unpack God's vision for our church, how we ex uh, particularly are going to express his vision for the world through our church body and what that's going to look like. So we're going to talk about our way, the three primary objectives we have as a church and how we're going to walk those out. And then with each primary objective, we'll talk about our values, the values that correlate to that. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. You guys ready? All right. Okay, here we go. So let's start with Ezra and Acts. That's what we talked about last week. That's where our stories started. In the book of Ezra, kind of a backdrop for that, 
Uh, Ezra uh, is about the children of Israel had been in captivity in Babylon for decades. Okay, so they had fallen to the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, they'd been taken away, and they had been in captivity there for many, many years. And then the Persians rose up and overthrew the Babylonians. And so now the king of Persia, King Cyrus, one of his first orders of business was this edict that he makes, this proclamation decree in Ezra 1. He says, hey, children of Israel, God, it says God moved on his heart, stirred up his heart, and he says, you Israelites, you can go back to your homeland in Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. In fact, I'm going to send you off and I'm going to give you the resources you need and everything you need. It was totally an act of God. <clears throat> so our story begins with that. The children of Israel are going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple with the king's backing. So this is, this is awesome. So that's where Ezra begins. Now, Acts begins, right? We hear, at the end of the gospel, uh, the disciples see Jesus. He rises from the dead. He speaks to them, and he gives them the great commission. He says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every living creature, and these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay their hands on the sick and see them recover. They'll pick up serpents. They'll drink anything, poison, it won't harm them, all these different things. And then he says, go make disciples of all nations. He says, this is, our, this is my commission to you, but wait. Don't do it quite yet. That's what I want you to do. But before you do that, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Same Jerusalem that the children of Israel went to in Ezra. He says, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because that's how this is all going to begin. So you go wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Seek me and wait for me to come to you and then begin. So, that's our backstory. And you see a lot of similarities in these stories. It's really fascinating. Um, so, first of all, the temple, right, in the Old Testament, that was the place where God goes to, I mean, where man goes to meet with God, is in the temple, right? And then you see in the New Testament, the church, the temple, his temple here is where, where men go to meet with God, even here, right? And then you also see the... the, the um, God being in the midst of his people in the Old Testament was found in the temple. That's how he could be in the midst of the children of Israel was his presence in the temple right in the middle of the city. And the same is true in the New Testament, that God is in the midst of us. He is in our hearts, which are the new temple, so he can be in the midst of his people. And then you see the captives returning Jerusalem, right? So they go back to Jerusalem in Ezra, and then you see the disciples going to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit 571 years later, which is so interesting. And then the last thing here is that you see, you see it starts with the touch of God. Ezra starts with God stirring up the king. And then you see the early church begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then the next step, we see the next step now in God's way. So it starts with the touch of God. And then the first thing we talked about last week, God's vision is personal. It is personal, communal and missional. But God's vision is personal. It starts with our individual connection with him. Everything starts with us, our hearts, connecting to the heart of God. Before we do any work, any missionality, it's about our relationship with Jesus. That's where everything begins. And we see that in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. It says this, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. 
Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priest Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So their first order of business, as soon as they arrive in Jerusalem, they say, the first thing we want to do is we want to connect our hearts with God. We want to worship. We need to build the altar. We're not, we haven't even laid the foundation of the temple. That's what they came to do was to build the temple. But before they did anything else, they said, we need to worship God and we need to connect with him. So they rebuild the altar and began offering their burnt offerings and sacrifices. This was their primary form of worship in the Old Testament. And they said, this is priority number one. I need to connect with the heart of God. All of this, this rebuilding of the temple, it's about him. And so without him, we can't do anything. So the very first order of business is we want to worship. We want to connect with the heart of God. So they go out of their way and they made it known from day one, this is what it's about. It's about him. And then you see it in the book of Acts. Chapter one, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives a Sabbath day's walk from the city. They all joined together, we said this last week, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they start out seeking God. They're like, hey, I don't know how this whole Holy Spirit thing's gonna happen, so let's just get together in this room and let's pray. And by the way, they lived in Galilee, but they're in Jerusalem waiting and praying and seeking God together. They say, this is our priority. We need to connect with the heart of God. And so they start praying constantly. And then you see in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were all in. They left all to follow Jesus, and they they continued that pursuit. They were there together constantly in prayer with all of their heart, with one accord, the Bible says. Homo thumadon, having the same mind, same purpose, same heart. Everything was driving them in the same direction. We need him. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Spirit, what Jesus promised us. And so they sought him out, And then on the day of Pentecost, Jesus lays the foundation for the early church, which is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That was the foundation in the book of Acts. You see it constantly, partnership with the Holy Spirit. It all started with the touch of God, but continued with a partnership and trust in the Holy Spirit. So the early church began with the touch of God, this incredible, miraculous thing, right? 
The sound of rushing wind, tongues of fire seen on their heads. I mean, this is a crazy scenario, right? They're speaking in all these different languages. Thousands of people gather together to see what's going on. Peter gets up, he preaches the gospel, and then all these people come to know Jesus. Thousands of people join the church in that one moment. The foundation is laid. But you see, carrying on from that moment, it started with that incredible moment, but then they continue to trust and partner with the Spirit of God in the chapters that follow. Being led by the Holy Spirit in each situation. God, what are you asking of us? Peter praying on his rooftop and fasting, and then God gives him a vision. And the Spirit of God tells him to go with these men to speak to Cornelius. And, and then Paul uh, seeing this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come to us, and all these different things. You see this partnership that continues on throughout the book of Acts. But it started with the touch of God and continues with partnership. So in this moment, the prayer of Jesus was being answered. His cry in John 17. I mean, this is the end of Jesus' life. One of the last things that he says that evening before he's taken captive and then eventually crucified, he's praying intimately with the Father, Jesus and God, one-on-one. And he prays this prayer in John 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. His prayer in that moment, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus prayed that they would be one. I and them and you and me. The spirit of God was in them, the power of God resting upon them. And Jesus's prayer had come to fruition. They had become one with him. That their, t- their hearts became the temples of the living God in that moment. And his conviction, his cry for us to be one with him was answered in that moment when the spirit of God came. And he laid the foundation. He didn't want them building the church without a foundation. So the Holy Spirit came, and then they, they realized in that moment, without him, we can do nothing. We need the Spirit of God. We need that relationship in union with Jesus. So it all came back to that, that union connected with the heart of God. Both Ezra, both the book of Acts, it all started with connecting with the heart of God in union with him, the Spirit of God being poured out, and then carrying on the work. And that is the core of our vision as a church. As a church, our first way in which we operate is we are one with Jesus. That is our pursuit. That is our aim, to be one with him. United together, not just intimacy, not just proximity, but union. To where we walk in step with the spirit of God, that we're listening to the voice of God that we are alive to the heart of God, fully alive and fully devoted to God. Alive, meaning we hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a desire. We need him. We don't don't just want him. It's not just something that, oh yeah, you know, if I have time, I'll add God to my life. No, it's he is our cry. He is everything that we want. He's our passion and our desire. He's the object of our affection. Jesus, we are fully alive to him. 
Our spiritual ears are open to hear his voice. Our spiritual eyes are open to see what God is doing in our midst because he is always working and we are partnering in that work. So we are fully alive to God and fully devoted, dedicated, faithful, saying yes to him, submitted to his lordship in our life. This is our aim as a church, to be one with Jesus, fully devoted and fully alive. And this comes straight from the great commandment, straight from the top, right? What does Jesus say? He asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. Every part of who you are is pursuing him. It's in pursuit of a union with him. This is all in. All of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of who we are. Now, it's easy to think of being all in with Jesus as being all in with, like, the church, right? But that's not what he's saying. Like, of course, I would love for you guys to be all in the church. That's great. That's wonderful, for sure. I'm not saying don't do that, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying all in with me. Seek me personally, the person of God. I want him present in my life. We're all in with him. So it's not all in with the church. It's not all in with serving. That's great. We should do it. That's not what it's referring to. It's not all in with even with our families. Again, absolutely do it. But we're talking about a pursuit of Jesus. Now, that carries out into every relationship in our life. It carries out into our service, our family, all of those things. But we're pursuing the person of Jesus. We're all in for him. So in Revelation 3.20, it says, Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, Jesus, that door he's knocking on, that's right here. It's the door of our heart. Are you gonna let me in? Part of loving God with all is saying, God, I'm inviting you in to the deepest places of who I am. God, I want you to be here in this deep part. Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's a room that no one has opened, that you haven't opened in years. But when we're, when we're all in, we open all the locks to that room. And we say, Jesus, I invite you in. Because the thing is, is that God already knows about the deepest places of our hearts. But the question is, is are are those places known by him? Is he there? Is he known in that place? I want to invite him into that place. And of course, wherever he comes, he brings light and life and healing and freedom and peace and restoration and fullness. So it's not a hard bet to make, but it is all in. Inviting him into those deep places. Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know this verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is awesome stuff. So I love this verse, but then it goes on. And the next verse is some of the most powerful ones. Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. That's part of the plan. That we come to him and call on him and pray to him and then he will listen. And then look at verse 13. You will seek me and find me when. Now I find that interesting. You will seek me and find me. Great. 
We want to do that. We're hungry for Jesus. When? So there's something that needs to happen in order for us to find God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I love that. Confirmation. Not only does it say, yeah, you're going to find me. He's like, I will be found by you. If you seek me with all your heart, I'm promising you, you're going to find me. But the key there was, if you seek me with all of your heart. So it's not one or the other. It's not desire or devotion. It's not either or, it's both and. That we're seeking God with our hearts, desire, and with our devotion. Devotion is absolutely necessary. Faithfulness to God. Because our desires typically start as a discipline right? Like spiritual disciplines, like prayer, worship, the word, whatever. It starts as a discipline and ends as a desire. Started as a discipline. We're like, okay, I'm going to set aside time to seek the Lord. And sometimes it's like, oh gosh, I got to do it. I'm going to read my Bible, you know, or whatever. But it starts as a discipline. And then the more we do it, if we're doing it with all of our heart, then what happens? We find him. If we pray with all of our heart, then suddenly we find him. We worship, we find him. We, we, we read the word with all of our heart, we find him. And the more you find him, then you desire him. And then you find him, and then you desire him. And then you find him and desire him and find him and desire him. And the next thing you know, it's not a discipline anymore, it's a desire. I want to be in the word. I want to pray. I want to worship. I want to be with Jesus. I need to be with Jesus. I'm hungry for him. Starts as a discipline, devotion. But then suddenly, as we see God, and we, we find in the world, we find him, it starts becoming a desire in us, and our hearts get involved. So it's both fully alive and fully devoted to God. And you start with a discipline, and then you make room for desire. That's what happens. Start with discipline, and then you'll make room. That's what discipline's all about. It's creating space. You make room for desire. All right, so... That's our way. We're going to be one with Jesus. We're going to pursue that. That's our aim as a church, to be fully alive and fully devoted to Jesus. Are we going to do this perfectly? No. Are you always going to be fully alive? No. Are you always going to be fully devoted? No. You're not. We're going to be up and down. We're human, okay? We're broken. We're insecure. We have our stuff. We have our days. There's going to be days that are awesome. There's going to be days that aren't. That's okay. This is our aim. Does that make sense? This is what we're going for. Is what we're aiming for, okay? So then there are three values that we have as a church that correlate with this pursuit, with this objective of being one with Jesus. Three different values. Value number one is growth. We pursue growth, which is orienting our lives around God. Orienting our life around God. John 15, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In order to be one with Jesus, we must remain connected to him in every area of our life, meaning there's not an area of our life where we're disconnected. So it's not like we have certain connection 
areas and disconnection areas. Like, well, okay, the, the church box, the, the family box, and the solitude with Jesus box, those are the connected areas. And then work and this and this, those are the disconnected areas. That's not the way it works when we're all in. When we orient our entire life around him, then every area he's invited into. We make room for him in each area of our life, in all these areas. So then, uh, what are the primary areas of our life? We have work, right? That's a big one. Marriage, parenting, uh, that permeates every part of our life. Um, then you have uh, like your home life, home responsibilities, things like that. Homeowners, yay. Uh, so you got that. You got uh, your finances. It's a primary area of our life. Uh, your hopes and your dreams. That's a huge area of our life. Sometimes that, that gets smaller. Sometimes it gets bigger. So what would life look like? How, what would our lives look like if we invited Jesus into each one of those areas actively? What would that look like? If Jesus was directly speaking into your work, what, what might be different if he was invited in to your, to your work day? What, what might be different if we actively invited Jesus into our marriage? or our parenting, or our home life and responsibilities? What would it look like if we active, actively had Jesus speaking into our finances, or our hopes and our dreams? What might that look like? How would your life maybe be different? Or, or would it be? Maybe you guys are already doing that. that. That's awesome. What would that look like? That is orienting our lives around Jesus. This is how we grow. We're actively inviting Jesus into each of these areas. Actively inviting him to make room. We are attentive to him in these spaces. And we're, being, we're practicing the presence of God. So if we are actively pursuing growth, then we are in so doing, we are also rejecting complacency. If we're pursuing growth, then we're rejecting complacency. The word complacency is a self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness especially in relation to one's personal situations. Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, because then your heart will become proud and you'll forget him. He's saying, when, when God blesses you and he satisfies you and life is going well, turn your attention to heaven. Thank God. Give him glory for every good thing in your life because otherwise what happens is we get satisfied and we get content and then we forget. We forget him and that he was the source of it all, anything good. And so he says, don't do that. Be active. That's why Jesus always said to watch, wait for me, be watching for me, actively looking for where I'm gonna show up in your life. Uh, Psalms 10.4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There is no room for him. We want to make room. That's what orienting our lives around God is all about. And then Isaiah 64.7, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. And I want to lay hold of him. So by valuing growth in Christ, we are constantly seeking to make room for him in every area of our life.
We're seeking to make room. And that's part of him being the boss, right? He's Lord. We're submitted to his lordship. He's, he's the one in charge. And so we submit to him. And that's a great place to be because he loves us more than we love ourselves. So his plan is perfect for us. And he cares for us. Okay, so that's number one. Growth. You guys with me? All right, awesome. All right. Number two. Value number two is truth. Following the guidance of the word of God and the spirit of God in our lives. Following the guidance of the word and the spirit of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. John 16.13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will let you know, or he will tell you what is yet to come. So we can't be fully devoted to God if we don't know what the will of God is. And that is found in his word. We know his will in his word, right? And so we study the word of God, meditating in it day and night so that we may know which way to walk. His word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. So it gives us guidance as to how we are to live our life. So this is what we do when we're being guided by God's word in his truth is we plan by the principle and we live by the presence. Plan by the principle, live by the presence. This is what I mean. Plan by the principles in scripture of the word of God. We plan our life out according to what he directs us to do in scripture. So we make those plans. That's how we plan out our lives. And then we live in the moment to moment of our life by his presence in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So he can guide us into all truth. Right? Does that make sense? And so in those moments that we've planned out by scripture and by the principles of the word of God, we're listening actively to what God might be saying to us. So we're going into a meeting at work. I'm like, all right, Lord, give me wisdom. You know, how do I, how, what do I say here, God? Be with me. Uh, you're having a conversation with a friend and they're sharing like some really deep stuff with you. You're praying in your mind, Lord, give me wisdom on how to, how to speak to them, how to love them. And so you're partnering actively with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God with you. So you're living by the presence. So plan by the principle, live by the presence. So that's the value of truth. And listen, each one of these values, we could do a whole series on. So like, I'm just briefly scratching the surface, um, but we'll dive into it more. So plan by the principle, live by the presence. Let the word renew our minds, transform us. Awesome. Number three, last one, value. It's worship, exalting God in our hearts while experiencing the love that passes knowledge. John 4, 23 says, Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What's so amazing about this is it says the Father seeks them, right? It says we're supposed to seek him with all of our heart, but it says the Father seeks out the true worshipers. He's looking. The Bible says in Psalms that God searches the earth to and fro to find a faithful man and that he finds none, which is really sad. Um, but he's looking for faithfulness and he's looking for devotion, but he's also looking for desire, People who are worshipers, the true worshipers in its spirit and in truth. He's seeking us out. And we want to exalt him in our hearts because not just here. 
Because Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He got onto the Pharisees and he says, you, you praise me with your lips, right? You exalt me with your lips, but your hearts, they're far from me. He said, it's not, it's not about just this. Where's your heart? That's what he wants. Life starts in the heart, and he wants us, we can't be alive to God if our hearts are not involved. Our hearts have to be active in our pursuit of Jesus. That's what he's after. And there's a reason why the prerequisite to finding God includes seeking him with what? All of our hearts. There's a reason why that is. God is interested in your heart. That's what he wants. Not just, not just your devotion. He wants your heart. Because that's where the light, that's where he can really pour out his life in you. You can experience the fullness of who he is if your heart is engaged. So then, what does that look like? Well, we talk about David, right? He's the man after God's own heart. He's the example of hardiness that we find in scripture. And so, what do we notice about him in the Psalms? David loved God from his heart, and he engaged all of his heart in prayer and in song. You see it. He wept. He was angry. He was joyful. Every emotion that a human can experience, you see it come out in David. He was an example of someone who is emotionally healthy, and his heart was engaged with God. He was honest with him, no matter what he was feeling, because we feel all emotions. We feel anger, sadness, joy, everything. Everybody does. So, and they're gifts from God. And, but all of them were engaged. When he sought the Lord, every part of who he was was engaged, and he was a worshiper. He sang songs to God, personal songs of heartache, of loss, of joy, of triumph. He would shout, he would clap, he would dance, he would cry, he would kneel, everything. Every part of him was involved as he worshiped God. And we want to imitate David. As a church, we want to engage our hearts as we seek Jesus in worship. We want to exalt God here. Not just here, but right here. With everything that we are. And this is how we grow this is how we choose to be one with Jesus and seek him out. It's these values. We want, to, we want to grow, orient our lives around God, truth, that our lives are guided by his word and his spirit, worship, that we exalt him in our hearts while experiencing that love that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond anything that we could ever hope for or imagine. So what do we take from all of this? God's vision is personal. I'll close with this. God's vision is personal. So meaning, it's not just a vision for this church. That's great. We want that. We want to be unified together collectively. But he's after your heart. You, as an individual person. He's saying, this vision is for you. I want union with you. I want union with Jenny. I want union with Jim, with Rusty. I want union with Linda. I want union, oneness with you as an individual person. That's what I'm after. Will you seek me? And he's inviting us. Will you seek me with all of your heart? Because when we do, we'll find him. When we find him, whew, he is everything that we need and everything that we want that we don't even know that we want and that we don't even know that we need. It's in him. So that is our pursuit. As a church, that's what we're after, to be one with Jesus, fully alive, 
and fully devoted to God. Does that sound good? Amen. That's what we're after. We want to do that first. Pursue him first. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to close in worship. And what I invite you to do is just ask the Holy Spirit. He's here. God's present. Ask God. God, where is it in my life that you're inviting me to make room for you? Where do I need to make room for you? Could it be in your work or in relationships? Where do you need to make room? Is there a deep part of your life that you need to invite God into to go all in? Maybe you're a devotion person. You are absolutely devoted to God, but the desire, the hunger for Jesus has waned. And you're like, God, will you stoke? I need that stoke of the hunger in my heart for you, the desire for you. Or maybe you have that. Maybe you got the desire, but your devotion is kind of on and off. You just can't ever seem to be consistent in your pursuit of Jesus. And you need the grace of God in that place in your life. Whatever it is, God's present and he has everything that we need. Amen? So what I want, what I want you to do is just ask the Lord, God, what is it? Just close your eyes right where you are. Just close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit, God, where are you inviting me to make room? What are you saying to me? It doesn't matter what I've said, but just ask God, God, what are you saying, you saying to me right now? We want to respond to that and surrender that area of our life. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? We want to be one with you, Jesus. So we're going to close in worship, and I just encourage you, as we worship, just take that thing, whatever God's revealing to you, and just surrender that to them. Um, can you stand with me? As, can you stand with me as we close? We're going to close in this song, just right where you're at. Just surrender whatever God puts on your heart. Let's worship.
thank you, God, that you satisfy. You're the only one who can. We need you. We can't do anything without you, God. We're desperate. Just like Moses said, God, if, if you don't go with us, yeah, we, we're not going. We're not going anywhere without you. Lord, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. Lord, I pray that by your grace, God, that we can live one with Jesus. Make our hearts alive. Give us the grace to be devoted entirely to you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I thank you guys for being here again. Don't forget. Uh, prayer meeting is this Wednesday, 6 a.m. I know it's early. And, and if you can't make it still, I encourage you to keep praying through those five prayer points we talked about. Please, please keep on praying because prayer works, God moves. And uh, looking forward to next week. See you then. Love you guys.